Talk about labor on Labor Day weekend. What a noble thought, right? <laughs> uh, I actually didn't know that I was going to be on Labor Day, this kind of thing, but but I've been looking at this verse for a few weeks now, and and uh, it just always sort of caught me like, what is uh, the text that we're looking at? It, it just sort of seemed, everybody knows it, and we've all read it. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30 is what we'll be looking at. You've heard it many, many times, that, that come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we all, that's a promise, and that all encourages us and all the rest. But, but I think a lot of times we confuse what this verse is talking about. Uh, it is, he will give us rest. It is, he does want us to come. Uh, but then the next part says, take my yoke upon you. So how do you have rest and have a yoke at the same time? We'll talk about that this morning. And I just want to share a few uh, thoughts that I feel like the Lord's given me on this. And as I studied and looked at it, to, to just sort of dig into it a little bit deeper. What was Jesus talking about? What was he referring to? In this verse that we all know so well and quote so often, do we really know what it means and what it's about? Um, I want to say now I appreciate Matt and, and, and uh, Clint. To filling in for me while I was gone. I got to hear Clint last week. Didn't get to hear Matt, but uh, I want to thank them for that and, and for the the time off and knowing that uh, it was in good hands and just thank you for that. So let's go to the, uh, at our text of Matthew 11, 25 through 30. Well, I feel like it's been, I haven't preached homecoming. I was off for two Sundays. We had vacation. I think I've got to learn how to preach all over again. I haven't done much of it here lately. But All right, we'll start reading in verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that guides us in all truth. I pray for that this morning, Lord, that you would just give me the words to say, that you would reveal the truth of your word to us this morning, that we would see clearly what you are referring to in these scriptures. And Lord, just help us to draw closer to you. Help us to be doers of that word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Labor Day weekend, as many of you know, how many know how it really started? It's a big barbecue, right? It didn't start out that way. It started out as a, as a, almost a protest or a strike because people were worked 60, 70 hours a week. And so they, to start with, it wasn't a national holiday. It was just a few people that, that took off and all the rest. Well, then I read an article where the government jumped right in there and said, okay, yeah, we want to do this, not because we want to give you a day off, 
But because we want to, these people are at work 60, 70 hours a week. They're making us money, but they're not spending it because they work all the time. So let's give them a day off so they can spend money. Don't you just love the government? It's not because they care if you get a day off. They want you to be to go from being workers to consumers. So the economy goes up. There's always a trick up their sleeve, isn't it? So that's sort of the background of Labor Day. They give us a day off so we'll go spend money so the economy will increase. Now, it didn't start with the original ones. They wanted more fair labor, uh, well, before the Fair Labor Standards Act, but they wanted more fair labor. They wanted 40 hours a week. They wanted eight hours a day. Uh, they wanted fair uh uh, employers to, and how they treated their employees and and they got that on, on some occasions and they wanted to celebrate it. So that's what um, Labor Day is about. It's a celebration of, of the fairness of labor. And as we look at this today, uh, like I said, I've been looking at it a few weeks and, and here Jesus is, is talking to the Pharisees. If you back up to the first part of chapter 11, uh, he is talking to these group of people and, and making referrals to they don't understand, they don't see the truth, uh, they don't get it because they're too involved in their religion. They're too involved in, in what they think will bring them to God. By the way, I, I really liked what Clint said last week. Uh, is no truer word spoken is we can't get to God. God came to us. So man cannot work, no matter how hard you try, how good you are, uh, whatever you do, go to church, Sunday school, all the things you can imagine to try to gain favor or acceptance with God is not good enough. There's only one thing that brings you to, to God, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So then with this, he comes up and he says, I, I have an invitation for you. Come unto me. Cease from your labor, your dead works, as Paul would put it. Your dead works that mean nothing. That these rituals that would happen. And, and Jesus was talking to these, uh, these Pharisees and Sadducees and leaders of the, the Jewish religion. And, and he even says in verse uh, 25, he said, Father, you've hid these things. These, what things has he hid? Uh, it, it talks about the, in other scriptures, about the, how the prophets and how all the Old Testament and all of scripture speaks of who? Jesus. All right, tell me. Jesus. Jesus. It's all about him. All the law, all the Old Testament, all the prophets, uh, all of that points to a Savior, a Messiah to come. It all points to Christ. And, 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 and a lot of them didn't understand that. The tabernacles, I've taught you all before, you can find Jesus in every uh, piece of furniture. You can find Jesus in the, in the fabrics, the woven fabrics and the curtains. Jesus is all over the tabernacle. Because it's only through him that we come into the holy presence of God. So it's all about him, all of the Old Testament, all of the law. And he's saying here uh, that, that you've hid this, that, uh, that, that the ones that are, think they're wise and they're prudent, they, they think they know all this, they don't really know. Uh, the Bible talks about how Jesus used the simple things to confound the wise. We have that today, don't we? 
We have a lot of people think they know it. They got it all. We know how this church thing works. We know about God and Jesus and all the rest. What their problem is is they've got a head knowledge but not a heart knowledge. They don't really get it. They don't really understand. We'll look at it in a few minutes why we know they don't understand. Because you come unto me, there is a result for that. There is a, an action for coming to him. And he said, you give it to babes. Out of the, out of the uh, mouth of babes will his name be glorified, right? Except you come unto me as a little child. What does that mean? What does that mean to come to me as a little child? Now, I know a lot of adults, and, and, it, and it's harder for adults, I think, sometimes to really grasp and understand true salvation. One, they, they don't want to humble themselves. They don't want to admit, I'm a sinner. I've failed in the eyes of an almighty God. Anybody like to do that? Anybody like to admit they failed? I had a thing on Facebook, a little stupid game, and I, for some reason, got suckered into it. And I played it, and they said I was wrong. Well, I wrote back to them, I'm in protest. I think that's a stupid answer. I think I'm right. After all, I'm a man. I'll tell you about it later, but it was sort of silly. It was a riddle, and you're supposed to figure it out, and I was right. They just had a dumb answer. None of us want to be wrong, do we? None of us want to admit that we're wrong, but you know that's the first step of salvation is that I am a sinner and I have come short of the goal of the mark of Almighty God. So for adults it's difficult. As a child it's not so, we understand we don't know everything. We grow up and we become adults, now we know everything. Can't tell me nothing. We got churches full of them, we got communities full of them all over. But the Bible says, come to me as a little child. Believe what I'm telling you. Humble yourselves in my presence. That's the first step of salvation. And I believe that is what he's doing here. This is, uh, uh, it's not to, unbelie- uh, to believers. A lot of believers quote this. Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. How many's ever quoted that? And just took it to heart and thought, oh, that makes you just feel so good. And it should. Because he does promise rest and salvation. But what the point is here, rest from your dead works. Rest from things that won't bring you salvation. He says, you've got to come to me. Come unto me. Let me, let's look at that a few. There's a few other verses. So this, this word come unto me is a believing. Uh, we look at Luke 18, 16. He said, but Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. There's the invitation to come unto me. Uh, John 6, 65, and he said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given in him of the Father. Do you understand that? That you or or anybody you're witnessing to, or anybody else, cannot be saved unless the Father draw them. Do you know that? Isaiah says, in my flesh are no good. My, my works of righteousness are as filthy rags. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. In the, in the flesh is as my, my body, my the way I want, the things I want, my pride, my, my way of thinking. 
it all falls short of God, of, of his standard. So unless God convict me or draw me, this scripture says he can't even come to me. We'll look at some others that say that. But aren't you glad that he says he has drawn all men unto his life? That includes women too. All men are drawn. God is not willing that any should perish. So some want to stop there and say, well, no, God only calls the ones he wants to be saved, and, and that's it. That's election. That's predestination. I don't believe in that. I believe God calls all men, all women, to become to salvation. And uh, it's by his work and the work of the Holy Spirit that I come to him. Um, John seven thirty seven. in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He's not talking about this bottle of water here. Thirst after righteousness, thirst after holiness. You thirst for that? Come to me. I'll make you righteous. I'll make you holy. I'll make you pure. I'll make you clean. That's what Jesus is saying there. And in a revelation that at the end of the time and after the tribulation and all the rest, we see the bride. Now, who's the bride, people? Huh? It's us, right? It says in Revelation 22, 17, in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride say, come. Whose job is it right now to, to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ? It's ours through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Revelation. The Spirit and the bride are still saying, come to the Savior. Come to the Savior. And so we see that in, in Revelation 22. And let him that heareth say, come. And him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. This is the, the, the water of life. Jesus said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the, the water of life that gives eternal life. And we see that's in the end time. So we see the invitation to come unto me. So in this text here, this come unto me is actually an invitation for salvation. Come out of your dead works. Come away from the law. Come away from your religion and what you think is going to get you to heaven. See, you know that's religion, right? It's man's way of God. Salvation is God's way to man. So uh, there's also an illustration, Luke 14, uh, that gives us a how he, he goes into this parable about a, a rich man that prepares a great banquet, a great meal, and, and he invites all, the, all of his friends, and he, he invites them in. And in uh, verse 12 of, of Luke 14, he says, Then also, uh, <clears throat> then said he also to him, talking about his servant that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, nor thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they should also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. What does that mean? That's sort of confusing, isn't it? Jesus is using this illustration as this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And what he's talking about is Israel. What he is talking about is the Pharisees and the scribes and the prudent. 
and the ones that think they know everything. And they've got salvation wrapped up because they know it. He said, those aren't the ones that are going to be saved. They're too proud. They won't humble themselves. Jesus said there's no point, uh, even though he does call them all, there's really no point in even asking them. Because they're too wrapped up in themselves and their pride. And, and they won't humble themselves. Uh, he said, but, but look on down what he says. But when thou makest the feast, call the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame and the blind. I'm glad that's me. See, when, I, when there was no way and I, I understood I was a sinner, there's no way I could be saved. I was poor. I was spiritually poor. There's no way I could pay the debt that I owed. But Jesus paid for it on the cross for me. I'm the one that was weak. I'm the one that was lame. I didn't even know how to walk in the right way. I was blind to the truth until God and the Holy Spirit revealed to me the truth is that you are a sinner. Christ died for your sins on the cross. And if you'll come to him, if you'll confess to him as Lord, you'll be saved. That's when you become rich. That's when you become healed. So he included me here. He didn't call the rich and all the rest that, that could uh, repay him or, or just sit down and, and have a good time. He said, call the poor. That's you and me. And then he goes on down to verse 16 uh, after they ask him about what he said. And he said, well, there was, uh, a certain man gave a great supper and, and bade many. He called many. He called all. And when the servant of the, at the supper, um, and when his servant at supper time, to say to them that were there, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Wow. This, this master made a great meal and he sent his servants to say, hey buddy, y'all come on. Y'all come on and come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. And what'd they say? Well, I'm going to get married. I got an ox in the ditch. And they go on. I've got five auction, oxen. And, I, you know, I bought a piece of ground. And this is what the next few verses are about. What well, don't that sound like church people? We're going to have church Sunday morning. We're going to come and worship God. Well, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got so much. Oh, a raindrop fell. Come on now. I, I know a guy, he used to sing a song, Excuses, Excuses, You See Them Everywhere. I don't know, have you ever heard that song? He just bang on that piano. It was, but it was so true. Christians have the most excuses of anybody I've ever seen uh, of not coming to the Lord's house and worshiping and learning about him. They want to come up with everything under the sun about everything else that they've got to do that's more important than God himself is what you're saying. That's the truth of that. And, uh, you know, we wonder, and our deacons, we sit and wonder how we can do things in the church. And, and I'm sure it's not just here. It's churches everywhere. How can we, uh, these last days, you, more and more people are falling, got more and more. We got to go to the lake. We got to go camping. We got to do this. And I got it. I need a vacation. Everybody needs a vacation. But not every Sunday. Not every day. 
Hello? Where's God? Where's the time for God? All right, I'll get off my soapbox. But they began to make these excuses. And another one said, I had to marry a wife. And, and so that the servant came and showed the Lord these things. So the, he went out and invited them. The servant came back to his master. And he said, Lord, they, they just got all kinds of excuses. They got all kinds of stuff going on that they feel is more important than your banquet, than your banquet you prepared for them. And look what happened to the, the master of the house. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and in the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maim, and the halt, and the blind. The ones that are humble. The ones that would just love to sit down at a banquet table and dine with the master. That's who God's looking for. The ones that have a heart that are hungry to just be in fellowship with him. The ones that just want to commune with him. That's what he's looking for. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them. That means beg them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that not... Uh, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Wow. Jesus was given that illustration about heaven. See, God called Israel, my chosen people. It's all about me in the law. It's all about me in the tabernacle. All the prophets, it's all about me. And Jesus is saying, come, come and dine. Come and die. He, see, he's the servant in the picture. The Lord is God the Father. And he's saying, come. And he says, oh, I, I've called more than that, and many of them didn't come. And he's talking about Israel who rejected God's son, who rejected the invitation to the banquet. He says, well, i tell you what. Go to the ones that aren't religious. Go to the ones that know they need a Savior. Go to the ones that are humble in heart. Go to the ones that are poor and needy. Aren't you glad he came to you? Aren't you glad you're poor and needy today? We need a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. I'm glad he called me. I'm glad I was poor and needy. And he came to me. He says, those who rejected my invitation will not taste of my supper. There's also a prophetic meaning that hadn't happened. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb one day, and, and Jesus is saying, Come, come unto me. All you who are laboring in your dead religion, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In me you will find rest. That's what that verse means. In me, you're going to find rest from dead works that won't bring salvation. Only in me will you find salvation. And one day, we're going to all sit at the banquet table with the Father. The bride is going to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's saying, come and dine. Will you come? Those who have come, this is the invitation, and I will give you rest. Now, i got to move on because there's a, a whole lot. I haven't preached in a few weeks, so i got a lot. 
I'll try to make it short. I got about 11 minutes. If you look and just write this down, Hebrews chapter 11, you'll get an idea of what this red, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, you'll get an idea of what is the rest that he's talking about. It's a salvation rest. Um, he said, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works for 40 years. Y'all got who he's talking about now? See, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews to explain to them that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of the sacrifices and the, the tabernacle. He is our high priest. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about, to convince the Hebrews that it's all about him. And here the writer of Hebrews is saying, there was a day because of unbelief that God said, I'll give you a promised land. I'm going to bring it. Do you remember why did, did they go into the promised land the first generation? They didn't go because of unbelief. Remember they, they sent in the, the spies and the spies come back and, and all but two said, we can do it. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Only two said we can do it. The rest of them says, there's giants. It's too big. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do this. But God had already said, you're going to do this. It's interesting to me that when they finally went in 40 years later into Jericho, and you remember Rahab the harlot that led them up to the wall and her family was saved? The statement she made said, 40 years ago, we knew, the Gentiles knew, the enemy knew that God had given you this land. The Gentiles knew it better than his own people knew it. But they had unbelief and they did not enter into the promised land. Now people don't get shocked. Promised land is not heaven. The promised land is the rest that Jesus is talking about. Once there's salvation, there is a perfect rest in him. Uh, it is the victorious Christian life that we know that he's in control of all things, that he leads and guides in all things. And that's what he's talking about here. They tested me and they proved me for 40 years. He says, wherefore was I grieved with that generation and said they do, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. How many of us have been, I've been saved since six years old. and Boy, that just hits me like a ton of bricks. Over and over and over, I see God do great things in my life. Every Sunday morning I preach, I see God do wonderful things. But you know, about Wednesday time, I'm like, Whoa, I don't know if I'll be doing this anymore. I don't know if I can do it. How many of us are like that? Over and over and over, God shows us his grace. God shows us his mercy. And we're just like, I'm so beat down. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, boot, to, to win this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to win this battle when Jesus has already said, I got you. You will win this battle. You will overcome. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you until the ends of the world. That's what he's saying. For 40 years they tested me. He showed him his goodness. He showed him his grace. But yet they just kept unbelieving. They kept doubting 
He said, so I swear in verse 11 by my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Come unto me that you may rest. There's rest in Jesus Christ. Are you resting in him? Are you still, you know, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and, and you accept him as your personal savior and you, and all the rest, and you've done all this, but yet you still feel like you need to pay him back somehow. You still need to work just a little harder to gain access where he accepts you just like you are. People, look at me, listen, if you get anything else today. Isn't that why you were yet sinners? Christ died for you. He knew you were messed up, sorry old dog before he ever saved you. He knew I was messed up, messed up, crazy as a football bat before he ever called me into the ministry. But he called me. And I'm so thankful he did. He loves you just where you are. Jesus died for you on the cross just where you are. You don't have to pay him back nothing. It was all paid for on the cross. If that's not rest, I don't know what is. If I stand before a holy God, it's not my righteousness, it's not my works, it's not anything that I could ever do, but I stand in the blood of Jesus Christ who paid it all for me. That's rest. That is perfect rest. Come under me, all you that labor in your dead righteousness and religion, and I'll give you rest from salvation. What a great passage of Scripture. And he's always asking you to do is to believe. And he gives a warning here in Hebrews. The, the writer says, Take heed, brethren, lest any of you with the evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. For we are made partakers of Christ, and we hold the beginning of the confidence steadfast unto the end. Why is it said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart? I want to tell you today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, you don't know somebody, or you know somebody that hasn't, if the Holy Spirit's calling today, you don't need to put it out, well, I'll do it next week. I'll do it. I'll do it on my birthday. I'll do it at homecoming. I'll do it at Christmas. I'll do it at Easter. You might not see homecoming. You might not see your birthday or Easter or Christmas. And you'll go, uh, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. You, we, some of us may not make it home today. Are you ready to face him? Are you ready to just stand humbly before him, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you ready for that? So I got to move on. So the interesting part is come unto me and I will give you rest. We all like that one, right? This is the part that sort of gets me and well, I've really got to hurry. Take my yoke upon you. Okay. Now it gets interesting. Now he just said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Now most of us thinking rest is in a little lounge chair on the beach and watching the waves come crashing in and watch the sunset, right? Or laid up in my recliner watching the football game. That's rest, isn't it? But he says, take my yoke. Now y'all know what a yoke is, right? Y'all country enough know what a yoke is. If I was up close to the city, I'd have to explain it, I think. 
I'll explain it anyway. They put a, a yoke on oxen, and, and some of you may have done it. Mule, I don't know if any of y'all are old enough for this, but they put a yoke on them, and, and it ties the two together. And then back in the old days, it was a big, heavy wooden thing, and it would go around their neck. And that's what they used to pull wagons or plows or whatever. And it kept the oxen or, or mules or whatever together where one wasn't out pulling the other. This is not much of rest, is it? When, that, when, you, when a farmer would come out and put that yoke on an oxen, I bet he wasn't saying, Ooh, I'm going to have a good day at the beach today. He knew work was coming. There was something to be done. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And another thing about that yoke, it shows ownership. I know Darren will probably tell you, a lot of times with horses and stuff, only the owner can put a saddle on it. You ever seen a horse like that, Daryl? Not just anybody can do it. It's probably that way with oxen and cattle. Not just anybody can put that yoke on it. It's got to be the owner. It's got to be the one that cares for them and feeds them and loves them and, and helps them to heal when they're broken. I got a master that loves me and cares for me, heals me when I'm broken, lifts me up when I fall. And I'll gladly let him put his yoke on me because I know he cares for me and he loves me. That yoke means there's something to do. He says, learn of me. That's what we're doing here this morning. We're studying God's word. We're learning about what a great savior he is. What a merciful and gracious God we serve. Learn of me for I'm meek. This is the God of this universe. I'm meek and lowly. And you shall find rest for your soul. Come unto me, and, I, and, I, and all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But now take my yoke. Let's work together on this. What are we working together with? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Luke 10, 2 says, Therefore I said unto them, The harlot harvest is great. But the laborers are few. We're finding that more and more and more toward the end of times. Everybody's all excited about having a big dinner. But if we want to get out and share the gospel, and I'm not saying this church, it's been that way for years. You'll have a handful. The harvest is great. Jesus was referring to the harvest as the ones that needed to be saved. And then and the laborers are the Christians, go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. Everybody wants to sing and everybody wants to eat and everybody wants to do that. But when it comes time to doing something behind the scene, I'll let somebody else do that. It comes time to sharing the gospel. It comes time to, to going out and handing out flyers for vacation Bible school or fall festival. Excuses, excuses, I see them everywhere. There comes that song again in my head. What's more important to you? Do you know he loves you? Would you, would you mind him putting the yoke upon you? He said to laborers, pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest. Church, if you want to pray, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. If we could pray for one thing, 
It first be, God, you be glorified in all you do. And I pray it all the time. Lord, send workers. Send people who love you and want to serve you. And he has. We got a group of them this morning. We got a house full of them this morning. I am very thankful of the ones that have given. And, and, you, and I'm humbled at how much some of you give sometimes. Sometimes I have to tell some of you, stop working. Don't do, you're doing too much. But there's some that are too busy. They got better things to do. John 6, 27, labor not for meat or which perish, but for that meat was endureth forever. Now I believe we ought to have a job and the Bible also says a man that will not work and feed his family is worse than an infidel. But that's not our priority and goal in life. Our priority and goal in life is to seek and to save that was lost. To give them the good news of the gospel for everlasting life. First Corinthians 3, 9, for we, Paul's talking to the Corinthians and he's talking about laborers together with God. Ye are God, God's husbandry. And ye are his building. Come unto me, all ye labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now that you cease from salvation, understand there's a job to be done, people, and you're not in it alone. You know what? That yoke usually was two or maybe three or four oxen or whatever, but I always think of just two. That's what's most popular. And if I'm in one, who you think's in the other? I think Jesus is right there beside me. Working alongside beside me. Helping me to stay in step. Helping me to stay in time. Helping me to keep going when I'm tired. Help me to keep going when I'm discouraged, when I'm down, when I don't feel like I can take another step. He just sort of pushes forward and makes that yoke pull and say, you can do it, son. Keep going. You got it. I think he's in the, he's the other one in the yoke. My yoke upon you. See, it's not a labor for righteousness, but a labor of love. I'll give you just another verse that I think is so important. Acts 15, 9, Paul is speaking. He says, and, and they were talking about this very thing that how uh, the, the Jews were being saved and, and all that was going around in the, in the New Testament church. And now the Gentiles were being saved and they were saying, well, they need to be circumcised and they need to honor these rituals of sacrifices and they need to do all that too. And, and, Paul, and they stand up and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And this is what he says. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? You put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear. Sometimes we do that, people. See, we, we think we're witnessing or our children or our loved ones. And you need to straighten up. I grew up, as I told y'all before, you got to cut your hair. You better, women better. We come up with all these rules and all these laws about how we need to please God and do right. And he's saying, you're putting a yoke of bondage around their neck that they can't do. 
I've talked about that before, the liberty we have in Christ. He took that yoke, that burden of, of, of sin away and, and this burden that I couldn't bear and he gave me a yoke and said, I'm right here with you. You don't have to do all that. He says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they are. That was his argument. Look, don't take these new Christians. Don't take these new converts and put a yoke around their neck that they'll never be able to live up to. That there's no way they can do it. It's only by the grace of God and the righteousness of his son that I am saved. Don't add nothing to that, he says. Don't do that to them. I'm telling you, don't do that to people. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Y'all got that? I don't think we have that problem here, but I know there's a lot everywhere. Galatians 5, 1, Stand fast therefore in liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Are you seeing that yoke? You're trying to work your way to heaven, do right, do this. It, the Bible says that's a yoke of bondage. Jesus has set you free. Be free indeed. Live the life he wants you to live. Trust him, believe in him, hope in all things are in him. And it becomes a labor of love for my yoke is easy and my burden's light. You know what? Sometimes Robin wants me to do some things around the house. But you know what? I love doing them for Sometimes I sweat. Sometimes I sweat a lot. Sometimes I wonder if she's crazy for coming up with these ideas. But you know what? More than anything in this world, I want her happy. And I love her. It's not a labor of, it's not labor to me. It's a joy to serve her. For my children to give up. I got a little grandson, right? I haven't watched my favorite TV show in weeks. I'm watching cartoons all the time. You know what? I don't mind. I love them guys to death. They can watch whatever they, it's a labor of love. And when you understand what Jesus is to you, what he did for you on the cross, that he's right there beside you through thick and thin, picking you up, encouraging you, giving you strength to go on every day, I think it becomes a labor of love, not a yoke of bondage. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Put that yoke of love that I have around you, and let's do the work that I've called you to do. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you love us so much that you came even that while we were yet sinners, even when we knew how messed up and weak and feeble and we were, Lord, you loved us just like we are and you gave yourself for us. Father, and you saved us and you still know that we're going to fall short and yet you continue to love us. You continue to encourage us. We thank you for that rest. We thank you for, for that labor 
that you have for us, a labor of love that you laid down the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate price for our salvation. Father, help us to see that and, and to love you and to serve you out of a pure heart that wants to see others of the goodness that we see and the love and the grace that we see in you. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be doers of the word we heard this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.